unfiltered, unscripted, and uncut. Doc Ellis, the pitcher for the Pirates, who threw a no-hitter on LSD. There I was out there, you know, high as a Georgia pine. Tripping on acid. Eight walks and one hit batter later, the guy throws a no-hitter on LSD. This is Homestand Headlines. Friday, March 2nd. On Homestand Headlines, Tyler Kelleher joined once again by Mr. Michael Reeve. It's finally March, man. I can't believe it. It seems like this year's already flown by first two months. The air is getting warmer. I, I mean, I can't wait for it. We, we got a little snow last that, night, but I, I hope that's probably the last dusting of white we get and we can just go spring weather. From this there. climate change is freaking me out. It snowed last night, but the day before it was like 11, 12 degrees outside. Well, I mean, Chris Curry is our good friend here. He's already breaking out the shorts a couple times already in the last week and a half. He's loving the weather, so why not? Yet Brandon Piller is about to go on a snowboarding trip. Hey, heading home to BC. There you my, go. My home will head to Fernie. I'm kind of jealous of that. Well, talking about the outdoors, the Maple Leafs are playing their outdoor game at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis, Maryland. So taking on the Washington Capitals. They had a few days off. They finished their Florida trip. Uh, got two points in two games against the Lightning and the Florida Panthers. Tough OT loss to the Florida Panthers. And then, yeah, they stayed in Florida during that time off because they had the rookie dinner. So I'm guessing it would be Travis Dermott and Kasperi Kapanen. Could just imagine how that would go on the, on the what, South Beach Strip, just partying it up for the rookie dinner. I don't even want to know how many digits that check was. Right? And I wonder... There's at least a... At least one comma, right? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I want to know how much they picked up. I know it's it's part of the tradition that the rookies Foot pay the for... they. Yeah, basically. But I think... I mean, I've heard stories. I've read Sean Avery's new book, too, where he talks about you know some of the vets stepping up, Shanahan, Lindstrom, guys like that, to just step up and they'll, they'll take a good amount of it. I mean, for this Leafs team, it's almost weird because normally you'd go to like your, your big superstars. They'd step up and help foot the bill, but that's... Marner, Nylander, Matthews, they're still on entry-level contracts. It's not right. like they got the the bank, the Brinks trip loaded up yet. So you got to think maybe it was like a Marlowe situation. Exactly. Like he's the vet Marlowe's the, the big earner at 6.35. Yeah, Your Marlowe's, he must have been, he, he had to help out on that bill for sure. JVR should help out because he knows he's getting really paid oh, he's getting next paid. year. Yeah, he should definitely be helping out. Anyway, looking ahead to this matchup against the Capitals, Leafs are 2-0 and in outdoor games. Won both of them, won the Winter Classic back in the 13-14 season, and then won the Centennial Classic uh, last year against the same team, Detroit Red Wings. Now they're going up against the Capitals, a team that's uh, playing well. I mean, first place, regained first place in the Metro Division. They both have have reason to play hard and get as many points as they can and gain as much ground in the final stretch of the regular season. Only won four of the last ten games, the Capitals. So you're looking at a, a Leafs team that has lost two straight, though they both were overtime losses going up against a Washington team. How do you see this playing out? Just in terms of the outdoor game and the outdoor atmosphere. Practice was canceled for both teams yesterday due to bad weather. How do you see this planet planning out for both teams? Well, it's hard to say because if this game was played in a normal arena under normal circumstances, we could we could lay down all our stats, all our facts that we have in our back pocket, say who's been hot, who's been not. But it's, it's not the same hockey. You don't play the same hockey outdoors. There, there's no question about that. Teams, you almost go back. You, you play Adam. You play peewee hockey. It's a cliche, but you, you get pucks in deep. You go scrumming along the wall, and generally it's either a bad bounce or a turnover or something 
fluky like that is where a lot of your goals get scored from. So it's really hard to predict these outdoor games because it's it's not NHL hockey per se. And that's why I don't really enjoy them as much as a normal NHL game, either whether it's watching it on TV or actually being at the game. If you're a, a fan watching on TV, the sight lines aren't as good. Uh, the ice isn't as good. This is from both perspectives. Ice isn't as good. As you said, it's just kind of advancing the puck and moving forward. Very straightforward yeah, game. It's, it's a very north-south. They really don't go east-west very much at all. Right. Like Especially a young, fast team like the Leafs that love to play mm-hmm. with the puck, do some extra things. Mitch Marner, you know, he's got the puck on his string sometimes. He's not going to be able to do all those moves because the ice is going to be a little choppier. It's, gonna, it's a simpler game. It's an old-school shoot-the-puck-on-net crash the net, bang it home. If you get some warm weather and some blue skies and some light shining down on that ice playing outside, now they're talking about the whole white jerseys thing with the Leafs, with with the white pants, the white helmets, the white jerseys. They're saying white gloves. The whole conversation is, well, if it snows, you're not going to be able to see them. If it's beautiful outside and the sun is shining on the ice, it's going to be hard to see that too. So either way, the white, I'm not a big fan of it. I really... I am a fan of it, but the question is, is that advantage Leafs? Or disadvantage Leafs if they're harder to be seen. I think it's a pain in the ass for both teams. Yeah, well, it's got, well who's your advantage going? The Leafs. I don't have it's an advantage. To see or maybe they can't see each other to make the passes. I honestly don't think it's an advantage for either team. So I guess it's an even playing it's an field. Even playing, yeah, well, that's it's all we can ju- ask it's just for. a pain in the ass for both teams. Uh, but yeah, it's just one game. It's like every other game in the season, except it's outdoors. I think the outdoor games have kind of lost their novelty. We're seeing less of them being played throughout the year. We had that one season, like two years ago, where there were like six of them. Yeah, they did the stadium series. Like LA should. I've said this before. LA should not be hosting an outdoor game. If you cannot realistically have outdoor ice, stop hosting outdoor games. Mm-hmm. And like you said, one. Maybe two a year is perfect. Do your do your winter classic. I'm okay with that. And then maybe throw in a heritage classic if you like. And I mean, you did speak about the the camera angles earlier for the fan at home. They're not the same, but at the winter classic, they added in that sky cam angle, and that was amazing. Like it was it was like you're playing a video game. It was that overhead angle. You can really see how the plays developed. And I really hope they have this in Annapolis because that's a really cool angle, mm-hmm. and I'd love to see more of it. I'm sure they'll make the most of it and try to get as many angles as they can to make it as good of an experience as they can possibly make it. The other uh, outdoor game that was very much talked about was during the World Juniors in Buffalo. Uh, A lot of people weren't really fans of it, yet they packed a a pretty big house and the IIHF made a good amount of money off it. This is why I think they're going to try to bring it back in the World Juniors, whether it's next year in BC. Probably not. not, But if it goes back, you know, matter of time, it goes back to Buffalo. They host every few years. They're pretty much the only U.S. city that can essentially host. Well, yeah. You know what? I think a great move by the IIHF, if U.S. is going to host in the next couple of years, why not go to Seattle? Oh, yeah. my God. Absolutely. Before, You're trying to get a team? Before they get that NHL team, mm-hmm. they're obviously in the process there. Go to Seattle with a World Junior. Let's see if those fans are really as strong as they think they are, because anyone can get up for an NHL team. Let's see if they support the junior hockey, too. And I mean, they love their Everett Silvertips and their uh, their Thunderbirds there in Seattle. So that Well, not only place. that, they love their NCAA sports. And what do you see on American World Junior teams? A bunch of college players, right? Yep. So I think that right there, that's a great idea. Uh, talking about the Seattle expansion, we'll get to that in a little bit, but uh, sticking with the Maple Leafs, Austin Matthews won't be playing in the game due to his shoulder injury. Uh, tough blow for the Maple Leafs, but... They've been playing pretty decent without them, and they're keeping up pace. I want to talk about a potential matchup with the Boston Bruins and the Maple Leafs in the first round of the playoffs, or should it be Tampa and 
or what would it be? A Tampa and Toronto meeting if Boston ever overtakes Tampa and say Toronto got past them and meets them in the next round. Anyway, Boston, Toronto. This matchup, I'm looking at this Patrice Bergeron injury, the broken foot, the, the hairline fracture, whatever you want to call it. It really affected, it was a big part of Eric Carlson's playoffs last year. And the big magical story was how well he was playing, even though he, he had that injury in his foot. Yeah, the but, ankle. He, he right. lost. He, he didn't have half his ankle bone. Right. Eric Carlson. That was insane. So you're talking about a heart candidate in Patrice Bergeron, their top player on their team, and I think it's going to play a huge factor if he's not there to start off the playoffs against the Maple Leafs. Because I I don't think this is something that just gets healed in a couple weeks and then you boost him up with cortisone shots and he's fine. Yeah, I mean, come playoffs, obviously he's going to be out there. He's going to try to give it a go, like every hockey player we've ever known does when it comes to playoffs injuries essentially mean Mm -hmm. nothing unless you can't walk you're out there at least attempting to go but you're right I mean he plays a speed game he plays a speed game down the middle he's he's expected to be a 200 foot player one of the boss arguably the best in the world so if he's losing that 200 foot game because maybe he's he's lost half even half a step that's something the Leafs are going to be able to take advantage of but of course the Leafs got a big injury of their own with Austin Matthews currently sitting on the shelf. So, I mean, if you take both those superstars out there, out, it's probably still advantage Boston. But if you can get Matthews back in and a is it advantage Bergeron, Boston? If, is it? If, no, we're going no Matthews and no Bergeron if they're both out. The Leafs are are seven and one against Boston in the last eight games, three and one this season. All three wins were without Austin Matthews against Boston that's, and that's Lou a good stat. Lou Lamorello came out. Just a few days ago, saying that if anyone who expects Austin Matthews not to be back before the start of the playoffs is crazy. He'll be back before the end of the regular season. He's going to play. They're just going to stretch out his rest time. I think this is possibly the greatest thing to happen to the Leafs. Not that their star player is getting injured, but just that he's going to get some rest. And yes, he's rehabbing a shoulder, but he's not playing every night and getting banged around. They have such a massive padding of a, of a playoff spot. They oh, yeah, clinch they, the spot. No one's going to pass them. Me and you could start suiting up for the Leafs. They're still going to make right. Still make the playoffs third. Give us Atlantic. a shot. Put me in, coach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let us be Rudy. But from that point on, I think if I were a Maple Leaf, I'd rather be the road team to start off anyway. There's so much energy and so much uh, adrenaline going through your body You know, in game one of, of, of the playoffs. Why not just start in the road? Try to win one game out of the first two, go back home with house money, and try to really pat on your series lead in game three and four when you go back home and then make game six or game seven, just win there. And so basically what I'm saying is this isn't a bad thing for the Maple Leafs. I think it's good to rest your star player. And I think Curtis McLean should get more reps and let Frederick Anderson rest a little bit too. Yeah, McElhinney definitely, they have three more back-to-backs. McElhinney needs to play more than three games down the stretch. There's no question about that. He's been everything you could ever ask for from a backup goaltender this year. He's coming Mm -hmm. in. He's giving your team a chance to win every night he enters the crease, and that's all anyone will ever ask from a backup goaltender. So I've really liked what McElhinney has, has brought to the Leafs this year. But you're right, Austin Matthews being out, it may be a blessing in disguise because not only does he get some rest, but these other players now are being forced to step up. Mm-hmm. They're being forced to play a little harder and carry the load. Mitch Marner, that line has been fantastic since Mike Babcock put it together. The, the Kadri, Marlowe. Marner line that that line has just been like come on that Marner's been popping goals like it's going out of style since the new year 
that really rejuvenated him, and people were calling that a sophomore slump. But having him having to step up. Having, Pretty damn good sophomore slump. That's a slump. great sophomore. I'll take that sophomore slump anytime. <laughs> having Nylander having to step up and almost be the – he's the main guy on that line now. He's no longer playing second fiddle. This could really benefit the Leafs come the playoffs when everyone in the world knows if you're playing the Leafs, who's the one guy you're not going to let beat you? It's Austin Matthews. That's mm-hmm. how you're going to do it, right? If the rest of the team – can somehow beat us, but we lock down Austin Matthews and he scores zero points in a playoff series, you're just going to have to shake their hand and say, hey, they beat us. Which is insane if you think that's going to happen. If you think yeah, yeah, you yeah. can keep Austin Matthews. No, the Capitals. That's, that's always the no, game plan. No, I know. Plan, I, right? no, yeah, that's yeah. 100% the game plan. You're right. But even the Capitals couldn't slow down Austin Matthews. What did he score? And he scored four goals in, in, in the first series. Yeah, in six games last year. Uh, I Yeah, I got to keep preaching on the whole point of taking it easy in the remainder of the regular season for the for the Maple Leafs. Whether or not Mike Babcock lets that happen is a whole different scenario. He's not a very complacent person. He just wants to keep winning. And with the Bruins' schedule, they have a bunch of games in hand over Toronto. But in the month of March, from the 11th to the 27th, they have nine games. Eight of them are on the road. And they're playing tough teams. Playing They're at a back-to-back with... Well, I was going to say Chicago, but they're bottom feeders now. They got Tampa, they got Columbus, St. Louis is still scratching in to be a playoff team, Dallas, Minnesota, Winnipeg, and then they go back home against Tampa and Florida, and then you finish off April, five games in April, first three on the road against Philadelphia, who's just seen a resurgence this year. Where did they come from? Right, and then Tampa, Florida, finish off at home for the last two games, but they're back-to-backs. Anything can happen. With the Bruins, we saw a massive workload that the Maple Leafs had to deal with last season to finish off the year. They had a bunch of games to finish off the year, and they are playing, it seemed like, every other day. And it affected them. I think this will affect the Bruins. And when that's happening, and Toronto stays that up close and that tight with Boston in the standings, it's going to urge Babcock to want to start Anderson more, you know, to maybe get Austin Matthews back sooner just so they can play and try to get second in the division now. When you're going to play the same team either way, chances are in the first round. Yeah, it's all about that home ice, right? Making sure that last game. I know you seem to you seem to like starting on the road. I'm old school. I like starting at home and making sure if a game is going to go to do a do or die game seven, you want that in front of your home fans. You want that at home. So I'm old school. They should be fighting for second if there's an opening. Yeah, it's going to be a tough race for the remainder of the season. Moving on to some baseball now. The Toronto Blue Jays starting off spring training. Doing the thing. Playing. They just beat the Phillies, what, 7-1 yesterday? Yeah, lost today, 2-1 to the Twins. Marcus Stroman has shoulder inflammation in his right shoulder. His MRI came back. He had no structural damage, but he's presumed not to be back by opening day. I heard a rumor that he was changing the arm angle of his delivery, but didn't tell Pete Walker he d- about doesn't it. Doesn't he do that already? Like he, Marcus Stroman is all about the varying the releases, varying the timing, trying to beat the hitter that way as well on top of his already really good stuff. Mm -hmm. It very well could have... He came out and said, it has nothing to do with me changing arm actions or all the delays I do, but you got to think it might have had a factor. But if I'm the pitching coach and I find out the guy's got shoulder inflammation before the season even starts, he was your best pitcher last year. You dealt with nothing but injuries last season. I'd be pissed off. I'd say, what the hell are you doing changing your mechanics, not telling me, and next thing I know you have shoulder inflammation. I don't know. That's just me personally. Yeah, you you never want you the, the major, major league baseball, the Toronto Blue Jays, they have a real good physio team. They have a real good sports science team. Like they know what can and can't be done to a body because they're paying people a lot of money to know that. Mm-hmm. Why, as Marcus Stroman, are you going off by yourself and doing something and not consulting the people your organization are paying millions of dollars to? Talking like 
even if he's even talking to the people at Duke that did his that helped him come back from his injuries. You got to be talking to someone. You're a professional athlete, and there's more to bodies than just going out and throwing a ball. Yeah. Now I'm not saying he hasn't been talking to the yeah, of course. to the club or anything. I just it it came out that he was changing his arm angle. I, I'm not saying it has anything to do with his shoulder inflammation or anything. I just thought it was a funny thing. He's had a strange start to 2018. We're talking about the arbitration case, the Twitter fire he started sending out after the arbitration. Then he deleted the post, did some damage control. Arbitration's the weirdest thing in the world. Why are you sitting in for it if you're the player? Yeah, because you you know exactly what's going to happen in arbitration. Mm-hmm. They're going to rip you to shreds. Because they want to rip you to shreds because they want to try to make it as cheap as possible to re-sign you. It's, it's like when two guys get into a fight. You remember back in high school? Two guys would fight. They'd beat the crap out of each other. Then they'd walk. Then they'd shake each other's hands and they'd walk away. And they're buds that, the next day. That's, is that supposed to be arbitration? You're supposed to fight each other tooth and nail. And then you're supposed to shake and suddenly be good. But all they did was just trash you for 12 hours in a room trying to talk you down off your dollar. I don't understand. Especially if it's only... if it's There's no salary cap in the MLB. Why don't you just pay the guy the that's extra... The, that's the, the big argument. whatever... Just so you don't have to go through this and you don't have to worry about maybe messing with his morale or one of these. Well, it splits both ways. You can say, Marcus Stroman, why the hell are you going to arbitration over $300,000 when you're making over $5 million a year? Or you could say, hey, Rogers, you're worth billions of dollars. Why can't you throw $300,000 over Stroman's way? To the guy, yes, who was your ace last year while Aaron Sanchez was throwing 36 innings and then he had blister issues. On the flip side, from Marcus Stroman's standpoint, why are you even in the room for that? Why don't you just let your agent go in and deal with it? Yeah, I don't see why they have to be there. Because he's never going to unhear that. He's heard that now. No, Exactly. I mean, he did arbitration the year before, so he even knew what to expect. It wasn't like a first-time thing for him. He knew exactly what was happening. He won his arbitration case last year, so maybe a little different experience. Now he's lost one. He's Well, I guess he's one for one in that sense, but, I mean, you gotta be, you're got to be way worse than that after hearing everything. Under team control until 2020, so he might be in on pace. Again. Yeah, he's probably going to see it again, so maybe this time he stays out of the boardroom. Talking about more injuries from uh, Randall Gritchick now, the sprained wrist. Dude, this is so Blue Jays, man. That's so Blue Jays. The the guy just gets picked up, trying to get younger, more athletic, makes a sick diving catch in spring training. And, and everyone's comes like, yeah, out. this is our new guy. Yeah. This is our new right fielder. He can actually move. He's fast. He's 26. Sprained wrist. And he's on the shelf. Not as bad as Tim Tebow spraining his ankle on a sprinkler head. Michael Saunders did that like two years ago, too. What's up with these sprinkler heads in spring training? They're lethal. That's because they got so many fields they got to keep water. Well, actually, do you see Tim Tebow was batting cleanup today against Max Scherzer? I saw that. <laughs> I didn't see how he did, though. We can assume. <laughs> <laughs> I think we know what happened. I want to look that up, actually, while we're talking. I want to know how he did. But, yeah, sprained wrist for Randall Gritchick. No, I'm not going to call it a, a really bad injury. I'm sure it'll be over it pretty soon, but uh, he'll take it easy for a little bit. It's just they have been they dealt with so many injuries last year, and to see a younger, more athletic, faster guy come into play or outfield, they have a plethora of outfielders to, it's to choose be, from. It's going to be an interesting decision on who, who gets that left and right starting job and who becomes that fourth outfielder. Because, I mean, we all know Kevin Pillar is firmly cemented in center field, Superman there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Granderson's looked pretty good. I mean, people think he's really old. He's only 36. Well, they're going to play him because they want him to perform because they, they want to flip him at the deadline is my, would be yeah, my opinion. He's Indeed. definitely one of those pieces. Should the Jays be out of contention come deadline time, you would see get shipped out of town 
to a contender, give him give him another shot at a ring, stuff like that. But he's been solid in spring training. He's mashed a couple home runs. He hasn't made any egregious errors out in the field. He's he's definitely an upgrade over Jose Batista. Mm-hmm. We can't can't deny that. And then it's really gonna be interesting in the outfield conversation for the Blue Jays is which rookies do they decide to go with? Do they want to go a little younger in the outfield? Go with a Tay Oscar. He's only had 188 career bats at bats in the majors last season. Everyone loved his September, but you always have to take September baseball with a grain of salt because you're playing against a 40 other, man roster, other September call-ups, mm-hmm. stuff like that. I mean, it's, it is interesting to see who breaks camp with the team, and even if you break camp, I don't know how long you're actually going to stay up there. There's a lot of people coming up the pipeline, and this team really could look completely different in August. I think Teoscar Hernandez can be a big future piece for the Blue Jays. I think he's very athletic. He has the build to be a good outfielder. He can hit. We saw that in September, as you just said. I know it was against other minor leaguers, but he's got a bunch of room to grow. He's at that age where you can really see in this next couple of years, this window, what he can do. Yeah, but remember how good Dalton Pompey looked in a September, then came up the next year, and we haven't yep. seen him since. He's had concussion issues. He's got a concussion last year at the World Baseball Classic. He's still in AAA. He had, I think he's... Uh, he, he played, actually, today against the Twins. He yeah. 0 for 3 with a strikeout. Nice. <laughs> His brother's supposed to be sick. Yep. But uh, <laughs> took Max Scherzer less than a minute to strike out Tim Tebow. <laughs> That's what I just saw. Less than a minute. Lasted 49 seconds, three-pitch strikeout. Tebow versus Scherzer. Beautiful. He's wearing number 83. Now, that's a number you give to a guy you expect to make the team in. <laughs> uh, other injury news, not really injury news, but Devin Travis. Uh, he's fine. Don't worry, guys. He's fine. Yeah, take he's, it, t- breathe. Yeah, but Ross Atkins came out talking about Travis, and he was saying, quote, what we need to be disciplined about is not playing him too much when he's hot, end quote. Now, I think this is a terrible thing to hear about a player who you expect to perform when healthy. You're basically saying when he's playing well, you can't ride that and keep playing him. you got to start easing him back. It it was a really bad way to say that we don't quite trust his health. That's pretty much what they just said is, we we like him, he's our guy, he's going to be our starting second baseman, but because of the amount of injuries and his injury history... We have to dial that back. We, we we're yeah. not expecting him to go out there and play 150 games at second base for us this year. They want they want to dial that expectation back now, and I think it's actually a smart play, especially if they want to go out and say, "Hey, Travis, he's only going to play four or five games a week max." Say that now. That way, if he's on a hot stretch early in the season and you take him out, people are going, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What do you do? What do you do?" Like, hey, we told you this was our plan. We told you we have to make sure he is healthy for the full season, whether that means playing five times a week or man that means maybe only playing four times a week if you if he's healthy throughout the season it'll be worth it in the long run but if that's the conversation how much is he really going to be part of the team's future plans the guy's 27 years old by no means should be fighting this many injuries and it's not like they just came to this conclusion where that where like oh my god these injuries are a problem with Devin Travis they came to this conclusion last year when he got hurt for the millionth time and that's when the I think the gears started turning with this team and, they, and then what do you know the conversation for depth up, up the middle infield starts popping in and they picked up um, Diaz and Solarte and guys like that right you got Richard Urania trying to bust out from the minors and try to make a a move and be able to make the team so 
I wouldn't be surprised if Devin Travis becomes an expendable piece if he boosts up enough value to get moved, especially with this team who's in the, the middle of a stopgap or about to start off a stopgap year, and you really don't know how they're going to look next year with all these expiring contracts. Well, and you said, I mean, they got rid of Ryan Goins, which I, I didn't like that move because I think go One of the best gloves in the league. I th- I've always said, and I will maintain it, if someone gave Ryan Goins a chance to play 150 games at one position, he would win the gold glove. I don't think a lot of people can argue that. But you're right. They, they've gone out. They've gotten Urania. They've gotten some some new pieces to kind of float around that infield. Uh, John Gibbons has already come out and said they're going to carry two extra middle infielders coming out of spring training. That's the current plan. That's how mm-hmm. much or little faith they have in Tulo and Devin Travis's health. But you got to think right behind those guys like Urania that are sitting there, you got Bo Bichette. The second best prospect in the Blue Jays organization. Hey, I'm just is he MLB coming? Ranked. Is he coming in this year though? I I don't know. If I'm not saying, but I'm saying if at the deadline this team's gone nowhere and you've moved pieces out, you've moved out a Donaldson, you've moved out your pitching depth, all those expiring contracts. You're expecting Vlad Guerrero Jr. to come up and probably play some third base. Mm-hmm. Why not bring up Bichette? See what he's got. I don't know if the team really wants to rush either of those it, two players. The, you don't. You don't see. I Vlad think the fan base. Year. I think the fan base wants to see that because Toronto just saw what the Maple Leafs did and dumping these big contracts and big names and having these rookies come up and just make an immediate impact. So from Blue Jays fans' perspective, they're thinking, well, if we're shipping out these big names, let's get the next the next guys to come up and do something. But if it's they're not ready, it's a let's, different sport. let's not halt their their growth right. and progression. Let's. I think it's safe to say that I think development in baseball close. takes a lot longer than development oh, in hockey. Absolutely. 100%. I'm Vlad, yeah, he's a I think, he's a top think, third prospect in the world in the league, and that's because of his bat, not his defense. But yes, he is. Right. But I, I definitely think, at minimum, I think Vlad needs to be a September call up this year. And where would you play him? In well, by that time, at, at Donaldson that point, could be gone. No, by that's, that's what, even if Donaldson's still around and the Jays are playing well and they're in the hunt, left field, or even DH, even D, get him, just get him some abs, get him some action, just get him yeah. that little that little cup of coffee, mm-hmm. get him that. I see him at minimum being a September call. Because at that point, if you're playing all those September call-ups, who cares where he's, where he's playing as long as he's getting reps? Yeah, exactly. Right? It's all if about he's DHing or playing first base or left field or Donaldson gets a day off and he's playing third base. Yeah, it's all about just getting that more experience in the major leagues, going to those major league parks. The media is different. The, your day is different. Everything is different when you make it to the major leagues. And even if you only play 10, 15 games, couple ABs here, couple ABs there, just some late inning, maybe just late inning defense, mm-hmm. whatever it is, it's going to help him in the long run. I think Jays fans are going to love this guy because I think he's an awesome mix of Encarnacion and Bautista. He, he's built like Encarnacion. He's a big guy, built like his dad, Vlad, Vladimir Guerrero. But the Bautista aspect of it is, man, can he control that strike zone? His eye at the plate is unbelievable. This guy... He had 76 walks in 2017 and 62 strikeouts. So more walks and strikeouts. That's a yeah, he, trademark a, Bautista stat right he, there. He's a Vlad, but with an eye. Exactly. Everyone knows his father was Swing he's the only a, man in the world who's going to hit a home run on a ball that bounced on the way to the plate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he, he's a Vlad. He's got the power, but he's got the eye to go with it. That That is a lethal combination. It is. You're right. It's a Bautista in his prime combination mm-hmm. where not only was he smacking 50-plus home runs, he was taking his walks down to first base and letting passing the bat and letting the guy behind you do something. The question is, who the heck's going to be behind him? Right. <laughs> well, let's see what happens. I think they have a lot of room to grow. If Donaldson's not here anymore and he gets traded, 
safe to say they're going to have a few guys coming back in return that can gonna be a King's get ransom. you something. I if if you're a Jays fan, you better be rooting for J.A. Happ because if Francisco Liriano can get the Jays a Teoscar Hernandez, imagine what a lanky lefty J.A. Happ can get you. Right around the playoffs. Estrada as well would be on the block if Estrada, his team goes that way. If his back holds up. If his cha- he said his changeup. He was tipping his changeup last year, and he was kind of slowing down. It wasn't really the same arm speed as with a fastball, and he was kind of tipping a little bit. So maybe if he can get that back, get his changeup back well, on track. He, he was the MVP of the playoffs a couple seasons ago. He was mm-hmm. lights, out. It was, lights out. It was sad to see him go that way with those injuries. So you're right. I mean, without question, the, the Jays' starting rotation – doesn't even matter who goes into that fifth spot is one of the best in baseball when healthy mm-hmm. but when healthy is a giant asterisk so fifth spot you got Yami Garcia who is the presumed fifth starter that would send Biagini? Uh, be a Joe Biagini to AAA would you rather see him in AAA to start to get called up or in the bullpen it's it's an interesting theory because he was so good out of the bullpen last year. He was yeah. one of the only guys John Gibbons could trust that when he called and he came into the game, he was most likely going to get the outs you needed. But at the same time, one of the biggest problems with the Jays last year was they had no starter depth. If someone went down, it was, oh man, where are we going? They had to send Joe Biagini down to stretch him out to bring him back up. So I wouldn't mind even at the beginning of the year if, well, if Marcus Stroman can't go, Garcia and Jay be a genie or both making the starting five at the beginning regardless mm-hmm. but i think at least for a little bit you got to probably send him down to triple a let him start because you have to have that we we five starters is never going to make it through a major league 162 day campaign realistically you, you need a sixth and a seventh guy almost always not to mention they're trying to integrate him into a, a full starter yeah at a certain age you can't keep throwing him in the bullpen and flipping him back and forth yeah, it's you gotta and, make a decision. Right. And if a fire sale actually happens before the deadline this year, someone's got to pitch. This starting five <laughs> is going to look very different next year. And Biagini will be, without a doubt, a member of that starting five because I'm telling you, Estrada, I'm guessing, will be gone. Jay Hap, good chance, will Garcia. be gone. Garcia will be gone. This is a very high possibility. You're talking about a starting five that'll have, you know, Stroman, Sanchez, and then Biagini is going to be part of that. Whether he's the third guy or they make they sign someone, he drops down to a four or five. That's yet to be seen. Uh, but yeah, you can't keep throwing the guy in the bullpen. I know that fans might want to bolster the bullpen because of the importance that it's shown the last number of years. Bullpens have made up, especially in the playoffs. They've been a yeah, massive yeah, factor. Just looking at Andrew Miller. Exactly. Uh, moving on, Shohei Otani, after his first spring training start this year, his Angels debut in spring training, didn't last all so well. I think he went one and a third, gave up like two hits, a home run, two runs. Anyway, he came back yesterday, struck out eight of the 12 hitters he faced, and all strikeouts for swing and misses. <laughs> they said his, his breaking pitch looked like a wiffle, a wiffle ball, just that's flying ins- all over the insane. place. Fastball around mid nineties, so ninety three to ninety five. That's pretty good for first week of spring training. You only expect that to get to go up in the coming weeks before mm-hmm. opening day, right? He's he's not he doesn't have all the gas in the tank yet. Not yet. My question is because he's presumed to start DHing soon for the Angels. Let's go, babe. <laughs> right. My question is, how good of a hitter, if you're the manager of the Angels, how good of a hitter does this guy have to be if you'd actually feel comfortable and confident with having him hit this many times? If he's your star pitcher, if he does throughout the season what he just did in spring training, how confident and comfortable will you be with this guy at the dish the majority of the season? If he's better than my number nine hitter, 
Why wouldn't I use him? Because he's your star. If he's your number one, and he will be. Have you seen their starting five? He will be. Their, he's, their, he's the race. He's, he's already the race. Yeah, but okay, so for the other, give him a rest day. So for the other three days in a rotation, essentially, if he is better than my number nine hitter, heck, he could be better than my number seven. If he's better than someone who I would be putting into my lineup, why on earth wouldn't you put him in? Because if you're playing six games a week, and say he DHs five of those six games and then pitches one, yes. that is the, the the wear and tear during 162 games, not to mention the base running. He busted out his knee last year in, in Japan just base running. You know? I, I, I don't he know. also smoked like 40 home runs. No, he didn't. Didn't he? No. I swear he, he won the hitting title as well as the pitching title. He, if he won the hitting title, it wasn't with home runs. I want to look that up. He he wasn't a massive home run. He was a good hitter. He didn't bash out a bunch of home runs, though. In one, two, three, four, five years, he hit 48 home runs. So three, then 10, then five, 22 back in 2016, and then eight in 2017. So that's maybe in... So. Maybe not. No. Everything else is decent. He's got... 166. I see only 166 RBIs, but that's in 403 games. So yeah, he's uh, he's playing. He's a good hitter. He's good. He, but the pitching is his bread and butter. You know. Well, I mean, he's definitely hitting if you're going to a National League park. And and not to mention his strikeouts were off the chain in Japan. That's only going to magnify in the majors. Well, I mean, he had 316 strikeouts. In 403 games. Well, you're going to give him the shot out of the out of the gate here to start the year as a going two ways, being the the modern day Babe Ruth. And if it doesn't work out, you're just he's just going to be your ace. He's going to pitch every five days, and he's probably going to be lights out for you from striking out eight of twelve in your second spring training outing. That's just redonkulous. And he can't really make an issue out of it because when he was looking for teams, the whole agreement was, "I'm not going to sign with you unless you let me do both." But if you're not Good enough. Yep. If my second option is better at the plate than you are, I'm not going to play you. You can't. Yeah, precisely. That doesn't affect the contract, the agreement in any way. No. And I think that's the best case unless scenario for some, the Angels. Unless there's a clause in the contract we don't know about. Where what? He hits no matter what? Even if he's hit, like below the Mendoza line? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that <laughs> would be ridiculous. <laughs> but I mean, uh, and at that point, there's another question. Is that still worth it? If you have a new ace of your team who's a stud on the mound, but he's hitting at 180. I was surprised he didn't go to a National League team. Yeah, me uh, me too, kind of. Because then you're guaranteed to be hitting every one in five. Is it because he wanted to hit more than that, I guess, is why he wanted to go American League? So he could pitch his one, then bat three days instead of just... Well, American League has the DH. National League, you're hitting when you start. Yeah, but you wouldn't be hitting other than that. Yeah, you would. Because there's way more there's way more pinch hitting scenarios. Yeah. There's way more pinch hitting and double subs in in the National League, so he'd hit a ton in the National League as well. Uh, yeah, I, I thought he was destined to be a National League pitcher. I was surprised when he signed in the AL. Yeah, I, I kind of I was leaning one way, and then I wasn't sure. And then when he ended up going to the AL, I was a little surprised. But, yeah, I wasn't sure the direction he was going to go in. I don't think he's going to play the field all that much. Oh, no. I like, know. Yeah, like, he can play right and left field as well. Yeah, right. If he's hitting, he's DHing. Right. It, yeah. Come on. And I want to know when, when he gets to a certain age, when the hitting – if. It doesn't explode the way he thinks it will. Unless it could, very well could. Now, yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying that this guy can't be the Japanese Babe Ruth and come in and just be a generational talent and be able to do both. I'm saying statistically, looking at his strikeouts, 
uh, back in Japan. I think that's only going to magnify in the major leagues. I think it's it doesn't make any sense to have your ace pitcher, your star pitcher. You haven't had a good pitcher in, in Anaheim for a while. Yeah, who are you going back to there? Like Weaver? Weaver, when he was actually good. <laughs> and and The you flow, know, though. The flow, exactly. <laughs> uh, so basically, I wouldn't feel very good having my uh, star player, my star pitcher, excuse me, hitting the majority of the week. Uh, we were talking about the Seattle expansion earlier in the show. Man, they sold 10,000 season ticket deposits in 12 minutes. And then 25000 in the first hour for the Seattle NHL expansion team. Yeah, they don't want a hockey team, eh? There's no way. <laughs> they definitely want one. <laughs> oh my, do they ever. So what's going to work there in terms of divisions? Because so, we were talking about this earlier. Yeah, we're, we're assuming they're coming in. Obviously, you have to have that rivalry with Vancouver. It's geologically. Like, Right. That's going to be a great rivalry. Those fans are going to travel back and forth constantly. It's going to be great. Let me paint the picture just for the listeners. So you have the Central Division. They'd be a Western Conference team without a doubt, not even an argument. Central Division is Nashville, Winnipeg, Minnesota, Dallas, St. Louis, Colorado, Chicago. Pacific Division, Vegas, San Jose, Los Angeles, Anaheim, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, Arizona. The Pacific Division is more set in stone because you have all the California teams and you have the Western Canadian teams. And then you got the so-called desert rivalry between Vegas right. and Arizona. The only Western Canadian team that's not there is Winnipeg in the Central. Yeah. So, seven in the Central, eight in the Pacific. And you're adding a team to the Pacific Coast. Mm-hmm. So, the only option would be, barring a movement, a relocation of a team would be Arizona, I would imagine, splitting up the Vegas-Arizona rivalry. throwing, yeah. Which is, what, what kind of rivalry is that anyway right the now? Desert, the desert dog rivalry. Yeah, it, it's, it, Vegas it's a is, forced rivalry. It's Vegas' first year in the league, and they're miles ahead of Arizona, they're who's hot anymore. garbage. So <laughs> how is that a rivalry? And yeah. there's no animosity in the NHL anymore anyway, so how many rivalries are there really anymore? Pretty much just the provincial ones, right? There's more rivalry between the fan bases than the actual teams. Oh, Everybody's buddy-buddy in the NHL nowadays. They all yeah, train yeah. the offseason. They, they fight each other at the ACC, then I see them at King, King Taps chilling yeah. in a booth together after the game drinking a beer. And they're totally fine. So you would picture Arizona going to the Central Division. The other option would be how big of a candidate Houston would be to get an NHL team should there be a relocation. You'd have to imagine if a team gets relocated, it would be Arizona. Should that happen, Houston would have no problem in the Central because Dallas is already in the Central, right? So Nashville, Winnipeg, Minnesota, Dallas, St. Louis, Colorado, Chicago, Houston. Then you have Seattle playing with, you know, all the California teams in the Pacific, and then you have obviously the Western teams in Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. and then It's so much cleaner. Right. The, the best thing that could happen would be that, sorry, Arizona fans, but the, the relocation, and I mean, they're coming hard for that team in Houston. They really want one, too. They're the they're the second candidate so much. They're not really a, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, they're not really a, an expansion mm-hmm. location, but they're definitely a relocation. And I think they're, they almost have the, they definitely have the advantage over Quebec City, sorry, Quebec City fans. That arena that they have there doesn't even get used. Videotron. And it's beautiful. It's, but it, the, it's a beautiful arena. And it, yeah, you're right. It's not getting used. It just sits there. We were talking to John Shannon. He said, doesn't get used at all. And it's one of the most beautiful arenas John Shannon says he's ever been in. Yeah. It looks nice from the outside. We were just looking at pictures. I've never been there. But uh, not a very... Uh, it's not looking good for Quebec City. Also, you're talking about Batman, who obviously wants to expand more with the American... Uh, markets. That's where the money is. That's where the money is. You're talking. What was your hypothetical? A full Canadian division? Oh my! God. How much fun would that be? It would kill the ratings, though, if it, it was all Canadian and, and teams the playing other each other. The problem is there's only seven. 
Yeah. So who are you adding? Because you have to be at eights. Who who would be the one American team you'd add to an all Canadian division? Uh, let's take a look. <laughs> it's got to be like a tire fire. <laughs> no, no, it has to be someone close to the border. It's got to be a border team. I know. I'm, I'm thinking. I'm looking at a tire fire that's close to the border. <laughs> I mean, hey, Chicago could be a tire fire for years. <laughs> Think or, about it. Look at them even now. A Seattle, you could put in. Seattle's going to get a lot of fans from the lower mainland and a lot of fans from the island. Actually, what am I talking about? That's the best case scenario, 100%. And yeah. the travel for the Canadian teams across the border to see their team in Seattle, that works too. And then vice versa it's with the Seattle fans. probably going to be cheaper too to go. Like I was saying, I'm from Victoria, so I'm from Vancouver Island. It's a lot cheaper sometimes to go to the States to watch something, do your shopping, mm-hmm. watch a sporting event. I mean, what the Jays when they go to Safeco, that's one of the best experiences ever because it's like seventy percent Blue Jays fans. It's it's really fun. And if they were to get a hockey team, I gotta think the tickets are gonna be a little cheaper than Vancouver. Hundred percent. So I see a lot of fans making the making the journey across the border. Yeah, I think Seattle's gonna be a great expansion team should they get there. I mean, what 2020, 2021? 2020 is the they they raised that flag on top of the Space Needle yesterday, so. NHL 2020 is what their goal is. Hey, it gives Houston two years to get the Yotes. The Yotes. <laughs> I don't know. Stupid hypothetical. Moving on to basketball, Cleveland Cavaliers. This story is so outrageous. <laughs> and all I think about is Seinfeld with the soup Nazi. But J.R. Smith was suspended one game for throwing a bowl of soup at assistant coach Damon Jones. Yeah, what? Like, that's just, but like, how NBA is that? Well, no, how J.R. Smith is that? But in, in any <laughs> league, do you see that happening in any other league but the NBA? Yeah, throwing, what I want to know is, who's this reporter and why do we not know what type of soup it was? This is a, this is a shoddy reporting job. I want to know, is we talking like chunky or are we talking like... Cheddar broccoli or yeah, something? Like, it wasn't gazpacho. I mean, please let me know it was at least hot so there was a little sizzle. So basically, NBA called him up and said, no soup for you. You come back one game. <laughs> yeah. And, the, and then his team gets dunked on, and he probably would have been throwing punches there in the final five seconds against Philly. I want to know what LeBron was thinking. Touching a ref, too. Everyone seems to just kind of, oh, it's LeBron. No one mentioned it. No one mentioned the fact he touched a ref. Right. You can't touch refs. Isn't that yeah. like rule one? Rule one. Other <laughs> Cleveland news. Well, not really Cleveland news. It's Orlando news. It's actually NCAA news, but it has to do with LeBron James. Uh, a building on the campus of the University of Central Florida was evacuated on Wednesday after a student mimicked LeBron James' pregame ritual of tossing chalk in the air. So according to the UCF Police Department Chief Richard Berry, he said that they evacuated and he goes, we think it was some kind of stunt, but unfortunately with the current threat situation the way it is, our fire partners are treating it as a hazmat situation. We're in the process of doing that. Basically, the guy got, it was baby formula in the middle of a class, and he did the whole LeBron James ritual when he throws the chalk in the air, which he hasn't done since like 2014. He just went and threw it in the air and goes, I'm taking my talents to South Beach, and then the whole place evacuated. Yeah, what do they think it was? Like anthrax powder? Like what? What Really? If you were going to... Do something like he even said, I'm taking my talents to South Beach while in South Beach doing a LeBron James almost trademarked maneuver. But did like all the students just like hit the deck and go under desks and stuff? Like what happened? The students had to laugh, right? The students were probably all about it. It was probably the teacher who probably has never watched a game of basketball in his life, had no idea what was going on. Just freaking out. out. I want to know. I want to know what the class it was. (laughs) <laughs> what kind of 
professor in a kind of class, like a subject, would freak out over something like that. Ethics? Morals and ethics? <laughs> I have no idea. As of Wednesday, campus police were still searching for the student. I don't know if they found him yet or not. So now he's on the run, too. Are you, t- are you telling me they can't find this student? How many people did he do this prank in front of? You're telling me none of them knew his name? The hell is going on at Isn't UCF? Isn't there cameras at this university? Well, they just won a championship, UCF, football. So they're probably like, that, that place is just going crazy right now. Maybe he wasn't even a student. Maybe not. That that does make it a little more sketchier if it's a, someone who isn't supposed to be in your class coming in and throwing powder in the air. I'll give you that. <laughs> I will give you that. Ending off the show with my favorite guy, Tiger Woods. Wow. He We're just no, You're talking Tiger? I'm talking Tiger. Just really quickly. He just <laughs> committed to playing the next two weeks. He's playing the Valspar Championship, which he's never played before. And then he's going on to the Arnold Palmer Invitational the very next week. Eight-time winner there. Uh, he won there back in 2013 for a record eighth time. All of it is just prep for the Masters in April. But, uh, hey, he's uh, he's playing well, finished 12th at the Honda Classic at PGA National. He's jumped like 155 spots since last week. Is it? Well, where was he? Oh. Hey, is, is, it, was, is it hard to jump 155 spots if you finished top 20 and you were currently 800th? No. You, you, you move up a lot. <laughs> yeah. But let's not forget that like he, if you teed it up in a PGA event and finished top twenty, you would also jump eight hundred spots. I would. I'm not <laughs> even on the radar. I'm go. I'm, I think hopefully, maybe <laughs> one day I could be on the radar. No, but yeah, basically. But listen, if you have a hiatus the length of Tiger Woods and you come in, you're, he's playing well. Just finished twelfth PGA National Thursday and Friday. The weather was terrible. It was atrocious. He was staying around even par. The bear trap killed him in the back nine. But besides, aside from that, he was first on the course in swing speed and he was first in the field in proximity to the hole so he's playing well he just has to fix his his uh shots off the tee his driver's killing him he's just spraying it everywhere everything else is got to take good. a take a lesson from me and just take the take the three iron off the tee take the five iron off the tee just don't even bring a driver to oh, the course oh he does that he does that, that too that's me on every hole he don't does care that how too. far the hole is i'm taking my five iron cuz at least i'll be able to see the ball where it lands Great philosophy from Michael Reed. Better hey, safe than sorry. If, if you can see it, it's a good shot. That's how I play golf. Mike, thanks for the talk, man. We'll talk to you next time. Yeah, thank you very much. And for all listeners out there, stay tuned for the next Homestand Headlines, and we'll see you then.